0: chapter fifty-nine of varney the vampire this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox recording by scott jones varney the vampire volume one by thomas prescott Press. the mysterious meeting in the ruin again the vampire's attack upon the constable. It is now necessary that we return once more to that mysterious ruin in the intricacies of which Varney, when pursued by the mob, had succeeded in finding a refuge which defied all the exertions which were made for his discovery. Our readers must be well aware that connected with that ruin are some secrets of great importance to our story and we will now at the solemn hour of midnight take another glance at what is doing within its recesses at that solemn hour it is not probable that any one would seek that gloomy place from choice some lover of the picturesque might certainly visit it but such was not the inciting cause of the pilgrimage with those who were soon to stand within its gloomy precincts other motives dictated their presence in that spot motives of rapine, peradventure, of murder itself. As the neighboring clocks sounded the hour of twelve, and the faint strokes were borne gently on the wind to that isolated ruin, there might have been seen a tall man standing by the porch of what had once been a large doorway to some portion of the ruin. His form was enveloped in a large cloak, which was of such ample material that he seemed well able to wrap it several times around him, and then leave a considerable portion of it floating idly in the gentle wind. He stood as still, as calm, and as motionless as a statue for a considerable time, before any degree of impatience began to show itself. Then he took from his pocket a large antique watch, the white face of which just enabled him to see what the time was, AND IN A VOICE WHICH HAD IN IT SOME AMOUNT OF PETULANCE AND ANGER, HE SAID, NOT COME YET? AND NEARLY HALF AN HOUR BEYOND THE TIME? WHAT CAN HAVE DETAINED HIM? THIS IS INDEED TRIFLING WITH THE MOST IMPORTANT MOMENTS OF A MAN'S EXISTENCE. EVEN AS HE SPOKE HE HEARD FROM SOME DISTANCE OFF THE SOUND OF A SHORT QUICK FOOTSTEP. HE BENT FORWARDS TO LISTEN, AND THEN IN A TONE OF SATISFACTION HE SAID, HE COMES, HE COMES but he who thus waited for some confederate among these dim and old gray ruins advanced not a step to meet him on the contrary such seemed the amount of cold-blooded caution which he possessed that the nearer the man who was evidently advancing got to the place the further back did he who had preceded him shrink into the shadow of the dim and rumbling walls which had for some years now passed seemed to bend to the passing blast and to be on the point of yielding to the destroying hand of time and yet surely he needed not have been so cautious who was likely at such an hour as that to come to the ruins but one who sought it by appointment and moreover the manner of the advancing man should have been quite sufficient to convince him who waited that so much caution was unnecessary but it was a part and parcel of his nature About three minutes more sufficed to bring the second man to the ruin, and he at once and fearlessly plunged into its recesses. Who comes? said the first man in a deep, hollow voice. He whom you expect, was the reply. Good, he said, and at once he now emerged from his hiding-place, and they stood together in the nearly total darkness with which the place was enshrouded, For the night was a cloudy one, and there appeared not a star in the heavens to shed its faint light upon the scene below. For a few moments they were both silent, for he who had last arrived had evidently made great exertions to reach the spot, and was breathing laboriously, while he who was there first appeared, from some natural taciturnity of character, to decline opening the conversation. At length the second comer spoke, saying, i have made some exertion to get here to my time and yet i am beyond it as you are no doubt aware yes yes well such would not have been the case but yet i stayed to bring you some news of importance indeed it is so this place which we have now for some time had as a quiet and perfectly eligible one of meeting is about to be invaded by one of those restless troublesome spirits who are never happy but when they are contriving something to the annoyance of others who do not interfere with them. Explain yourself more fully. I will. At the tavern in the town there has happened some strange scenes of violence, in consequence of the general excitement into which the common people have been thrown upon the dreadful subject of vampires. Well, the consequence is that numerous arrests have taken place, And the places of confinement for offenders against the laws are now full of those whose heated and angry imaginations have induced them to take violent steps to discover the reality or the falsehood of rumors which so much affected them, their wives, and their families, that they feared to lie down to their night's repose. The other laughed a short, hollow, restless sort of laugh, which had not one particle of mirth in it. "'Go on, go on,' he said. "'What did they do?' "'Immense excesses have been committed, "'but what made me, first of all, stay beyond my time, "'was that I overheard a man declare his intentions this night "'from twelve till the morning, "'and for some nights to come, "'to hold watch and ward for the vampire. "'Indeed, yes, he did but stay "'at the earnest solicitation of his comrades "'to take yet another glass.' ere he came upon his expedition. He must be met, the idiot. What business is it of his? There are always people who will make everything their business, whether it be so or not. There are. Let us retire further into the recesses of the ruin, and there consider as well what is to be done regarding more important affairs as with this rash intruder here. They both walked, for some twenty paces or so, right into the ruin, and then he who had been there first said, suddenly to his companion, I am annoyed, although the feeling reaches no further than annoyance, for I have a natural love of mischief to think that my reputation has spread so widely and made so much noise. Your reputation as a vampire, Sir Francis Varney, you mean? Yes, but there is no occasion for you to utter my name aloud, even here where we are alone together. It came out unawares. Unawares? Can it be possible you have so little command over yourself as to allow a name to come from your lips unawares? Sometimes. I am surprised. Well, it cannot be helped. What do you now propose to do? Nay, you are my private counsellor. Have you known deep-laid artful project in hand can you not plan and arrange something which may yet have the effect of accomplishing what at first seemed so very simple but which has from one unfortunate circumstance and another become full of difficulty and pregnant with all sorts of dangers i must confess i have no plan i listen with astonishment nay now you are jesting when did you ever hear of me jesting not often i admit but you have a fertile genius and i have always myself found it easier to be the executive than to plan an elaborate course of action for others then you throw it all on me i throw a weight naturally enough upon the shoulders which i think the best adapted to sustain it be it so then be it so you are i presume from what you say provided with a scheme of action which shall present better hopes of success at less risk i hope look what great danger we have already passed through yes we have i pray you avoid that in the next campaign it is not the danger that annoys and troubles me but it is that notwithstanding it the object is as far off as ever from being attained and not only so but as is invariably the case under such circumstances We have made it more difficult of execution because we have put those upon their guard thoroughly who are most likely to oppose us. We have, we have, and place the probability of success afar off indeed. And yet, I have set my life upon the case, and I will stand the hazard. I tell you I will accomplish this object, or I will perish in the attempt. You are too enthusiastic not at all. Nothing has ever been done, the execution of which was difficult without enthusiasm. I will do what I intend, or Bannerworth Hall shall become a heap of ruins, where fire shall do its worst work of devastation, and I will myself find a grave in the midst. Well, I quarrel with no man for chalking out the course he intends to pursue, but what do you mean to do with the prisoner below here? Kill him. What? i say kill him do you not understand me i do indeed when everything is secured and when the whole of that which i so much court and which i will have is in my possession i will take his life or you shall ay you are just the man for such a deed a smooth-faced suspicious sort of man you are and you like not danger there will be none in taking the life of a man who is chained to the floor of a dungeon i know not why said the other you take a pleasure on this particular night of all others in saying all you can which you think will be offensive to me now how you wrong me this is the reward of confidence i don't want such confidence why you surely don't want me to flatter you no but pshaw hark you that admiral is the great stumbling block in my way I should ere this have had undisturbed possession of Bannerworth Hall but for him. He must be got out of the way somehow. A short time will tire him out of watching. He is one of these men of impulse who soon become wearied of inaction. I and then the Bannerworths return to the hall. It may be so. I am certain of it. We have been out in this matter, although I grant we did all that men could do to give us success in what way would you get rid of this troublesome admiral i scarcely know a letter from his nephew might if well put together get him to london i doubt it i hate him mortally he has offended me more than once most grievously i know it he saw through you i do not give him so much credit he is a suspicious man and a vain and a jealous one and yet he saw through you now listen to me you are completely at fault and have no plan of operations whatever in your mind what i want you to do is to disappear from the neighborhood for a while and so will i as for our prisoner here below i cannot see what else can be done with him than then then what you hesitate i do then what is it you are about to say I cannot but feel that all we have done hitherto as regards this young prisoner of ours has failed. He has, with a determined obstinacy, set at naught, as well you know, all threats. He has. He has refused to do one act which could in any way aid me in my object. In fact, from the first to the last, he has been nothing but an expense and an encumbrance to us both. And yet, although you, as well as I, know of a marvelously ready way of getting rid of such encumbrances, I must own that I shrink with more than a feeling of reluctance from the murder of the youth. You contemplated it, then? asked the other. No, I cannot be said to have contemplated it. That is not the proper sort of expression to use. What is it, then? To contemplate a deed seems to me to have some close connection to the will to do it and you have no such wish i have no such wish and what is more i will not do it then that is sufficient and the only question that remains for you to consider is what you will do it is far easier in all enterprises to decide upon what we will not do than upon what we will for my own part i must say that i can perceive no mode of extricating ourselves from this involvement with anything like safety then it must be done with something like danger as you please you say so and your words bear a clear enough significance but from your tone i can guess how much you are dissatisfied with that aspect of affairs dissatisfied yes i say dissatisfied be frank and own that which is in vain to conceal from me i know you too well arch hypocrite as you are and fully capable of easily deceiving many you cannot deceive me i really cannot understand you then i will take care that you shall how listen i will not have the life of charles holland taken who wishes to take it you there indeed you wrong me unless you yourself thought that such an act was imperatively called for by the state of affairs do you think that i would needlessly bring down upon my head the odium as well as the danger of such a deed no no let him live if you are willing he may live a thousand years for all i care tis well i am mark me not only willing but i am determined that he shall live so far as we are concerned i can respect the courage that even when he considered that his life was at stake enabled him to say no to a proposal which was cowardly and dishonourable although it went far to the defeat of my own plans and has involved me in much trouble. Hush, hush! What is it? I fancy I hear a footstep. Indeed, that were a novelty in such a place as this. And yet, not more than I expected. Have you forgotten what I told you when I reached here tonight, after the appointed hour? Truly, I had for a moment. Do you think that the footstep which now meets our ears is that of the adventurer who boasted that he could keep watch for the vampire in faith i do what is to be done with such a meddling fool he ought certainly to be taught not to be so fond of interfering with other people's affairs certainly perchance the lesson will not be wholly thrown away upon others it may be worth while to take some trouble with the pot valiant fellow and let him spread his news as to stop anyone else from being equally venturous and troublesome a good thought shall it be done yes if you will arrange that which shall accomplish such a result be it so the moon rises it does ah already i fancy i see a brightening of the air as if the mellow radiance of the queen of night were already quietly diffusing itself throughout the realms of space come further within the ruins they both walked further among the crumbling walls and fragments of columns with which the place abounded as they did so they paused now and then to listen and more than once they both heard plainly the sound of certain footsteps outside the once handsome and spacious building. Varney the Vampire, who had been holding this conversation with no other than Marchdale, smiled as he, in a whispered voice, told the latter what to do in order to frighten away from the place the foolhardy man who thought that, by himself, he should be able to accomplish anything against the Vampire. It was, indeed, a hare-brained expedition, for whether Sir Francis Varney was really so awful and preternatural a being as so many concurrent circumstances would seem to proclaim, or not, he was not a likely being to allow himself to be conquered by any one individual let his powers or his courage be what they might. What induced this man to become so venturesome we shall now proceed to relate? As well as what kind of reception he got in the old ruins, which, since the mysterious disappearance of Sir Francis Varney within their recesses, had possessed so increased a share of interest and attracted so much popular attention and speculation. End of chapter fifty nine. Recorded by Scott Jones, San Clemente, California.